0: something that we talk about quite frequently at ECC, um, and it's really been um, a part of, I think our nationwide discussion is justice issues, I'm talking about justice and peace and shalom. We talk about that quite a bit and flourishing. Um, and so, during this teaching series that we're calling Your Kingdom Come, we're looking at what Jesus had to say. So there's a lot in scripture that um, we see about justice issues, especially in the prophets. Um, But during this teaching series, we're going to kind of focus on what Jesus had to say. And it was kind of like the first stuff Jesus talked about was talking about his kingdom and how his kingdom is different than this world. And largely that has to do with um, justice issues and who, um, who is blessed or who is um, flourishing in that kingdom, and it's not who you expect. And so we started our um, series last week and we talked about the poor, and we also talked about um, those who are mourning. And um, not expecting that those are the people that, got, that Jesus started out saying are blessed in his kingdom. They are the ones who have his favor that are flourishing. And this week we're going to look at, um, continue to look at those who who are, come from humble um, backgrounds. So we're looking at the meek, um, but we're also looking at just those who strive for justice. Um, And you might, because of the wording, you might miss that Um, if you've read this passage in Matthew chapter five, um, and Alex is going, my brother-in-law who's spoken at ECC, I think he's like, kind of like a, an honorary member of our church because he's spoken so many times and he certainly has journeyed with us all these 10 years and he knows about, um, our culture and our community. And so he's going to bring the message today. So, um, I'm going to pray and then, um, Alex can begin his message. Lord, we thank you so much for um, the hope we have in you that you are bringing a kingdom that is different and that um, you see everyone and that you are working for um, shalom in our community. Lord, I pray that we would um, learn and be convicted and um, be inspired this morning. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.
1: Well, thank you for uh, including me in your series, as uh, Wendy just mentioned. Uh, I guess there's a part of me that does feel like an honorary member, but one of the reasons I hesitate with that is because family and what Jesus describes as family is not really something that can be done remotely or drop in the way that I do. Because I usually show up when you guys have food, you know, so I, I do that. And, you know, I, I pop in from time to time. And, and while I do feel like I'm a part of the extended family, part of what Jesus will be really emphasizing in the, and has been emphasizing in uh, Sermon on the Mount is the idea of community and the close tie we have with community. Uh, Now, I will say, and I mentioned just very briefly at the beginning, uh, I'm hearing impaired. And even worse, I broke one of my hearing aids back in August, so I only have one. uh, And that makes me about as hearing disabled as possible. So I have a bunch of different technology toys down here that I'm looking at uh, to to try to kind of keep me on track. I'm very glad that Heather and I were able to participate last week in you know this similar Zoom event. So as far as I know, I don't think any of you will be asking me questions while I'm talking, but I do want to open up that opportunity. So if I say anything so completely outrageous or shocking that you need to react the way that you would if we were all in a room together and you would just Put your hand on your forehead. There's an emoji for that, and I use it all the time. And then I love the shrug emoji, too, and I use that all the time. But if you feel, yes, exactly. Annie just made that one. So if you feel like you need to do that, uh, you can. I'm going to move my Zoom over to gallery view so I can see as many of you as possible. Uh, One of the other things, okay, and uh, see, I forgot to mute my phone. One of the other things I need to do, though, is... Because of the hearing loss, I've become more visually dependent, so I will actually look down at the little cluster of screens, uh, because that's one of the ways that I I stay in touch and communicate is by the visual. Uh, So with some of that introduction stuff. I do want, again, uh, to reference, I'm so glad that Heather and I were able to participate last week to hear what Wendy said as she opened this series. She made reference to a Christian scholar, a fellow named Jonathan Pennington, and how he used the word flourishing instead of the word blessed in his material. And Wendy had a couple of lovely pictures of flowers to spur us to use our imagination. Well, I poked around a little bit in Pennington's book and I was glad that he made the comparison between Sermon on the Mount and Psalm 1. Now, part of that is because that's my grandfather's, well, my grandfather and my dad's side. That was his favorite uh, Bible passage, and also because in Psalm 1, there's a mention of a fruit tree that is flourishing by the waterside. and so as much as flowers are okay, if I want to think about flourishing and plants, I'm going to think about fruits and something that I can eat. Now, there's a slide picture uh, that I have uh, that is now popping up that, yes, So that is a vineyard in the Golan Heights, I think, you know, downloaded it uh, and found that picture. So, of course, it's a modern-day vineyard, but from where Jesus was on the mountainside, wherever it was in Galilee, uh, and maybe even the crowd, they might have been able to look over and see vineyards that looked a little bit like this. You know, just the the crust, the clusters of grapes that are laden. Part of it is I just drove back from my parents. I don't know that it was a very super COVID-friendly activity. So that's why I didn't want to mention it in the discussion time. But they live in Staten Island. So I have been driving up there uh, trying not to violate New York State quarantine or anything just to pop in on them. So of course, mom, being a mom, had to send me home with some food and so she sent me home with a bundle of grapes. So yeah, I've got grapes on the mind, but uh, even as we start to move forward, so we can take the picture down and we can see uh, each other again and react. If we were gonna have a discussion time and small group leaders, if you wanna jettison the questions I suggested, that's fine too. If we were gonna have a discussion time, I would ask now about favorite fruits and vegetables and what you think of when you think of flourishing, when you think of fruit. Now. If I was going to use a New York State illustration, I would have dropped in an apple, apple orchard, because apple picking was a part of my family from growing up because we grew up in New York City, not very many trees, not much grass. So as a child in the fall, my birthday's in September. My parents would load us up into the antiquated station wagon, drive a couple of hours upstate, and we'd go apple picking. So some of the embarrassing pictures from my childhood are me running through an apple orchard, you know, uh, hauling the apple uh, up and eating it and getting mess all over my lovely brown and orange sweater. Flourishing. When I think of flourishing, then it's not simply a bouquet of flowers but fruit. And that's what God wants for us. That's what Jesus was describing in the Sermon on the Mount. But it was kind of a, a, I want to use the word shocking. It was a different and surprising kind of flourishing. It wasn't what his listeners were expecting. Now, I'm going to use uh, some tools for something called Discovery Bible Study. It's a, a platform, a tool that my Balae, that's Tagalog for in-law, my in-law Tom Mowen introduced me to. It's used in disciple-making movements around the world, including India and Southeast Asia and South America and Africa. And it's just uh, a tool to use whenever you're approaching a Bible passage and you, you ask yourselves three questions. Uh, the first one is, uh, you know, what is God, or in this case, what is Jesus doing in this in this story or, or in this teaching? And then... Uh, the second cluster of questions is is how are people reacting? What are they doing in this story? And the third is, what should I change or improve in my life because of what I've heard from this story? So that's kind of be in the back of my mind as I'm uh, you know going through this little section now, uh, again, Wendy mentioned the the Pennington book and the translation that he does. so this is not a slide. I'm just going to read this verbally from you know a a copy paste of that so the rephrase that that this uh, gentleman pennington does uh, for the verses we'll be looking at today are flourishing are the humble because they will inherit the world flourishing are the ones hungry and thirsting for righteousness because they will be satisfied and flourishing are the merciful because they will see god now I, I have to admit, uh, you know, with the white hair and everything, I'm on the opposite side of 55 now. So, yeah, I qualify for the discount at diners, you know, and that they're the the- Is, uh, Say again. Yes, yes. So so I love that. That was not a covid friendly activity. So, you know, the the, din- the the kind of places that offer that discount in Maryland still aren't allowing eat dining. So that, that's kind of a rain check for me to go in flash my driver's license and say, Hey, I want your blue light special. You know, the, the blue plate blue special that you give to the seniors that are old and don't have tea. The, you know, when Penny then uses the word flourishing that does that, that, that kind of throws me because I'm, I'm used to a certain word being there. So, with that in mind, for those of us that are used to a certain kind of wording, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and speak through the slides I have of the three verses, the three blesseds, the three flourishings, the three beatitudes. So that's the old, old word that a white-haired person like me would use, the three beatitudes that we'll be looking at. Um, so the first one, uh, verse 5, and uh, uh, we, we can uh, toss it up there. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, as I was driving down on the you know two and a half hour trip from Staten Island, New York this morning, I deliberately played, listened to the Spanish translation from uh, NBI because I, I wanted to kind of hear it. And also, I like that word, the word that is translating there. And so uh, because I'm not Spanish fluent, I'm not going to embarrass myself. With that, but but for those of you that are Spanish speaking, kind of pay attention to the word that is used there for meek, because in English there are other translations that use gentle and humble, and so I kind of see the mirror image of that in that Spanish verse. Okay, the next slide, which is verse six: uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So that's the English language translation, and right there. In this Spanish translation, you see exactly the word, well, uh, I I won't try to mangle it, justicia. So that's justice. Or what, you know, in my mind, I'm seeing that word, I'm thinking justice. So that's an example of how, especially when we use language tools that are outside of my English comfort zone, I see, oh, the word justice or the idea of justice and the idea of righteousness, they must somehow be paired in what Jesus is talking about. Okay, and uh, last slide, 5-7. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And this is the one that was easiest for me to hear as I was driving back in the car again. Just one hearing aid and all the car noise. But I could hear, I could hear the word compassion. I'm not pronouncing it right, but, but that's the word I was able to hear. You know, in, in, in all of the streams. So I, I really like that. Okay, so that's enough for those slides. That's just kind of the background there. But also as an illustration to remind us that words mean things and words are different in each of our translations. And in fact, in Jesus' time, the words would have been different. And this is, this is, uh, you know, a little bit you know, when the kind of that question, uh, when we ask ourselves, okay, what is Jesus doing in this story? So Jesus is talking, he's teaching, he's teaching about what it means to be a person of the kingdom. And Jesus is definitely not speaking English, not speaking King James English for sure. Experienced English. He might not even be speaking Greek. He might not be speaking Hebrew. He might be speaking something called Aramaic, which would have been kind of the, blend of Syrian and Hebrew. Uh, I'm in the Philippines. So in the Philippines, there is a quote-unquote national language that's Tagalog, but that's actually just one of several dozen hundreds of dialects in the Philippines. There's even one called Ilocano, and I've got an aunt that is from that part of the Philippines, and so she uses words, blend words that are different than Tagalog words. So think about aramaic and 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 hebrew a little bit like that they're they're cousin languages that grew up next to each other but by the time of jesus because an empire in the past the Syrian empire had conquered israel uh they weren't speaking moses Hebrew style anymore. They were kind of using more of this blend language, Aramaic and that that probably was the language in which Jesus might have delivered this sermon and might have been speaking. We we don't know for sure. We don't have any zoom audio recordings of it. No MP3s of Jesus actually speaking. So this is a guess just based on, you know, what scholars know of the culture. So we had that problem. He he's using words and, and and you know, even within your congregation, you've heard of this idea When I use the word
2: justice, and when Wendy uses the word justice, when Jimmy uses the word justice, we
1: bring to that word, or the word righteousness, or the word humble, or gentle, or meek, any of those words, or if I was a Spanish speaker, the words that we saw that were in the Spanish translation, there's all kinds of freight in my my brain, all kinds of... luggage in my brain about the word what the word justice means Wendy sent a great resource to me a podcast now thankfully it had a written transcript because podcasts that are audible can't hear them worth a lick unless i have the volume turned up so loud the rest of my family says dad you're shaking the house uh but anyway the written transcript of the bible podcast guys said that that you know even here within the united states there's at least three different streams of views on social justice and righteousness issues. And just to pick out an example, going back into the first testament, when you look at what Moses was writing, some of it was what's called retributive justice, eye for an eye. You know, if somebody breaks the law, you find them so, this certain amount. And then there's another way of using the word justice, it's restorative justice. And that is, you know, same word. Same word being used in a different context. And that's kind of the sense in which it's most often paired with this idea of righteousness and restorative justice in particular, you know, these podcast guys highlighted a four marginalized groups, the groups that in a patriarchal agrarian society would be left out in the cold, marginalized. So widows, widows were no longer a part of the patriarchal society because you know their own family their birth family had in effect given them away to the husband's family but now the husband's dead and so widow and for me I'll put a parenthesis on that because even though it didn't exist as much then it is more meaningful and real to be now divorced so widowed and divorced and so there are definitely some of you that can understand What that means, some of you, you know, may have the sorrow and grief of widowhood. Some of you may have the sorrow and grief of divorce, where a family that you were a part of for however many years, you're no longer part of them, depending on how acrimonious the divorce was. Okay, so that's a marginalized group. And then another of the marginalized groups would have been what we would call orphans shorthand, but those that lack parent figures in their lives. So even there within Inwood, even if there aren't, and there are certainly bunches of orphans, people who don't no longer have biological parents, there are whole bunches of young people, kids and up, that no longer have parent figures in their life, even if, even if their biological parent lives somewhere. So that's, that's what's meant by orphan. And in a, the patriarchal agrarian society of Jesus' time, people that were orphans, they were outside. They had nobody to provide for them. And what the word that we would use for immigrant or people that are no longer a part of their homeland. Now, technically, I'm an immigrant. I was born in the Philippines, grew up here in the United States. And, you know, when you cut me, I actually bleed New York Yankee blue.
2: You know, so so there's a part of me that really feels American. But when I look in the mirror, I recognize, uh...
1: I don't look like a bunch of the other people at my workplace,
2: um, I'm handsomer. No, uh, it's not that. Uh, immigrant, someone who doesn't live in the home of their people.
1: And you know, just looking at our Zoom, there are a bunch of you that understand what that idea means, even if it's not the exact word what it means to no longer live in the land of your people and be cut off from that. And the last is poor. And, you know, uh, Wendy explored some of that last week, those who can't provide materially for themselves at the very least. So those are the disenfranchised groups. And as we explore what that second, I'm going to kind of hop around a little bit because I know, uh, you know, I I don't want to take too long with this and I could talk forever on this. When Jesus talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, what he means, I think, is do you have a passion for doing things God's way? Not God's way in the sense of 631 Mosaic laws that governed everything you did from the Sabbath and what kind of clothes you wore and all. God's way in the sense of what Micah wrote in Micah six, eight, because uh, there's an, an echo there. And okay, now I'm gonna cheat, like I said, go over to one of my uh, little devices and see if I can uh, pull it up. Um, but there might be some of you that, that you know, know it by heart, but in Micah six, eight, because part of what I wanted to cheat to do was to find Micah in the Spanish, because I really liked it in that translation. But anyway, uh, the shorthand for Micah 6.8 is is what God expects of us is to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Hmm, does that triad, does that trio remind you of anything we've just read? See, in some ways, what Jesus was saying was shocking to people because to them it was new, but it really wasn't new. And this is something that a couple of the other resources, Scott McKnight, that, you know, that, that Wendy referred me to and that you guys can, can, can poke around in. What Jesus was saying was, yeah, it was new to the people who was listening to because they hadn't paid attention to what God had been saying for millennia. All the way back to the time of the Old Testament, to the, to the prophets, and going all the way back to the time of Moses and the Psalms. God had been saying things, and so, you know, there, I, you know, will grab the quote. There's a quote in uh, Psalm 3711 that says, the meek will inherit the land. And surprise, surprise. So Jesus is actually quoting from David when he says the meek will inherit the earth. That's the way we we think of it
2: now. But what what Jesus is saying is that this promised land you guys have,
1: the gentle are the ones that are going to get it again, not in the sense of a title deed, but that God's going to provide that for his people. You see, in Jesus' time, and this will come back to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then I will get into mercy. One of the things that is very scary about the idea of hunger and thirst for righteousness,
2: deep desire for righteousness, is when that craving leads us away from God. One of my favorite musicals, and
1: this is one that I share with my sister-in-law, Les Mis and Jean Valjean. And you remember where he sings about, he goes to prison for stealing that little bit of bread. We can hunger and thirst for bread and water. And we can even take by force or by theft, bread or water, or whatever it is that a rioter does when they invade a store. So there, the material things, or the land, the physical land. There was actually a political party in Jesus' time called the Zealots, and he had one of them as one of his followers. The Zealot said, we're going to get this
2: land back from the Romans. We're going to do it by killing as many Romans as we can. And that wasn't Jesus' way. Because hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you can't steal righteousness. You can't can't even vote in righteousness. You crave it
1: in your heart. And you crave it because it's it's the way God treats you. And you want to treat others like that. So again, borrowing one more time from Scott McKnight. He talks about something called the Jesus Creed about loving God and then loving people the way that God loves us. And so we know that Jesus was already quoting about, you know, when he was talking about humble and gentle and meek, he was referencing something from the Old Testament. And when he was talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, again, those are ideas that God had been telling his stubborn israelite and christian people forever and they kept not paying attention they kept thinking that jesus kingdom was something of this world because that's the theme of this whole series is your kingdom come and over and over again the disciples are saying jesus when your kingdom comes i want to be attorney general and my brother is going to be secretary of defense okay jesus is your kingdom coming now are you restoring Israel now Jesus, are you going to make Israel great again and give us hats to wear and, you know, our country? And Jesus would have said, guys, don't you remember the Maccabees? The Maccabees tried that 300 years ago, and it's still completely." Jesus kept, and Jesus, at his trial, in front of the Roman governor, says, my kingdom is not of this world.
2: It doesn't have governors, it doesn't have emperors, it doesn't have presidents. That's not the kingdom that I'm bringing in. The last of the flourishings and blessings about merciful and mercy,
1: that might have been the one that, that would have been a surprise to Jesus' listeners. Because that's the one, that particular word, mostly when it's used in the First Testament, is used about God. Because God's the one that has the power to do justice and punishment. And mercy is about God's long-suffering. You know, that's one of those old Shakespearean kind of words. And, And God's loving kindness. And that's when the word mercy
2: is usually paired. And that's why I loved the Spanish translation this morning. Because it uses the word
1: compassion, or, well, I pronounced it the way an English speaker would. To show that, that mercy is about, can in this case be about hurting with those who hurt. I'm going to close with an illustration from, uh, oh, and I'm almost over time, so I'm going to do this really fast. From my favorite, show, There is a scene, an election time scene, when one of the characters, Sam Seaborn, is uh, running for Congress in a seat that really only a Republican ever wins, and he's a Democrat. And he comes to realization in a bar the week before Election Day, that he's gonna lose. And so he turns to his mentor, friend, Toby Ziegler, who's the chief speechwriter, chief communication director. And so that's
2: Sam's supervisor. And he says to him, I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna lose, aren't I? And Toby says, yeah. They're gonna throw rocks at you. And I'm gonna be right here with you. That's
1: mercy, that's compassion, that's hungering and thirsting for doing things right, knowing that in this world, Jesus' kingdom might not ever come, even though we pray for it and we work for it and we want his kingdom to come within the church. We know that in the greater society, it may never come like that, but that we align ourselves, stand there with the people who are having rocks thrown at them who are having their livelihood taken away, who are
2: being beaten unjustly by the authorities, who are being tossed into cages. We're there with them. I think that's what Jesus meant by hungering and thirsting for justice and righteousness, that we're there.
1: I'm gonna say a quick prayer and that wraps up uh, my little part. Holy Spirit, thank you for this opportunity to
2: be with community and family even though it is a very
1: strange and pulled apart way to do it by video and not in person. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reached through the internet and electrons that we're sending out those signals. And somehow Holy Spirit, you are putting us side by side with each other as we hunger and thirst and deeply desire and seek after your way and your righteousness and your justice. We pray this in the name
2: of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.